0: If there's one thing we can thank indies for, it's delivering some fantastic roguelikes. Originating as a term literally because games in this genre play like rogue. This label has thankfully grown past just the Berlin interpretation of roguelikes. Which, yeah, that was a real thing from a real meeting at the International Roguelike Development Conference of 2008. And now we finally have games such as this which look nothing like AI Design's ancestral 1980 dungeon crawler. But why do I bring up all this history? Well, because it's important to understand the genre definers' roots. Because the famed permadeath and random generation that these games showcase has led to some pretty incredible game design. To me, what I really enjoy about these concepts is how their unpredictability turns them into virtual anecdote generators. Furthermore, the fact that nearly every run in these games starts off fresh means that you'll likely be tackling each scenario in a new light each time. But what does that mean for their boss design? That's why today, we're looking into three specific examples and how their own individual merits impact their fights. Hey ladies and folks, I'm Skip the Tutorial, and this is Boss Battle Breakdown, a deep dive into the ins and outs of boss design. And hey, if this is your first time here, make sure to loot that subscribe for weekly insights into your favorite boss fights. First off, let's tackle one of the frequent picks on best roguelike lists. Edmund McMillan's The Binding of Isaac. Kicking off at first in 2011 as an action script Flash title, the game's since received multiple different iterations and re-releases with the help of the good old developers over at Nicholas. Being inspired by the legend of Zelda's dungeon design, the game's based around Isaac shooting his way through hordes of disgusting creatures while escaping the murderous rampage of his ballistic religious mother. Okay, so maybe it's not exactly like Zelda. And with these dark themes, you can rest assured that in this one, you're gonna be dying. A lot, but that's where so much of the fun comes in. Isaac Veterans will be well aware that every introductory floor features a randomly generated starter ability with your name on it. And right from this early phase, your gameplay experience goes into entirely different directions with what you get, as the optimal strategy entirely shifts with the hand you draw. For example, getting the Orbiting Tears upgrade could drive you to constantly be moving around your solar system of sadness just to get a couple of hits. Or exploding sticky blobs might keep you at a distance just to stay out of the blast radius. On top of this, new buffs add to the pile, so each run means an entirely different Isaac as you progress forward. And in the boss battles, this means that your combo can entirely make or break you in these fights, since the boss order features some RNG as well. This all comes together into a stack of utterly bonkers gameplay. Say you have a slow yet powerful tear shot that levels through some of the earlier enemies, but it could be quite a hindrance going against Pin, so each different strategy you end up with falls into some pretty distinct strengths and weaknesses. And the constant keep you on your toes nature of the boss order makes sure that every time you go through a run, you're always on the lookout for surprises, be it your first or your 92nd time through. Another roguelike twin stick shooter I'd love to throw some recognition to is Dodge Rolls Enter the Gungeon. One of 2016's finest. Although the core ideas of this game share similarities to Isaac, with endearing character design, plenty of enemies, and projectiles up the wazoo, this title really takes the bullet hell part of these games and bumps it up to some skyrocketing levels. If you thought you could come into the gungeon without having a couple thousand brushes and near misses with some bullets, check your earlier beliefs at the door. This time, while perusing through your typical treasure room, you'll be sure to find a chest in there, and likely let out an audible sigh at your lack of an entrance key. The simple delineation from a formula like Isaac's puts a lot more weight on the random upgrades of each run, as having to buy keys to crack open these caches puts much more stake into each time you try to advance your progression. Throw in some bullet magazine management as these new weapons run out of ammo, starkly contrasting your starting gun. And you'll swiftly be caught in the punishing, yet rewarding loop of learning the game's ins and outs. And you better believe this theme stretches right to the boss fights. These battles are like choreographed musical numbers of ammo, as some muscled-up gun goal unloads a full mag that you need to strafe and dodge all your way through. Having to constantly keep on the move while firing off some shots toward the boss is a whole other level of depth as you run the risk of your powerful weapon's clip running dry before you even make it past the first foe. And you're not going to find yourself just learning the same optimal strategy for each boss either, as the random rolls come back into play in differentiating battle order, leading to that same concept we saw in the Isaac fights, except here it's leaning full throttle toward learning your movement and placement side in these fights, which overall turns the simple changes in each run's map into fresh and exhilarating endurance matches through waves of bullets. Literally. Rounding off our case studies here, I want to take a peek at one of the most impressive genre blends I've seen in ages, Motion Twins Dead Cells, a Roguevania style game. So right off the bat, what does the extra vania mean for the title's design? First off, the game features progression that maintains after death. Finishing an area safely means that you're given the opportunity to spend your hard earned cells on various permanent upgrades. Be it enhancing your character's core mechanics, or adding new weapons to the pool. This allows for players to keep a sense of comfortability in each new run they start, as well as a constant forward momentum, as death quite literally is not the end. On top of this, the main boss order is kept the same as you play through the familiar sections of the game. So you'll be pretty used to seeing that concierge precursory cutscene after a couple dozen runs. But while at face value, this might seem to be a boring theme of predictability in comparison to the other two examples we discussed, I think that in this sameness, the game's design is able to push players to experiment down different playstyles and paths that they might not have even considered. Like pushing some goofball into doing a shield-only run, where the optimal route through beating these bosses entirely flips on its head. But this in and of itself can lead to its own interesting stories as players set their own self-imposed challenges. Challenges for taking on these fights. Taking the same pattern and looking at it from a completely different point of view can make the game start to look new, which I think is really special. Now I'd be remiss not to bring up a commonly discussed consequence from this type of random design. The concept of being overpowered, be that causing destruction with visible chains of electricity in Isaac, scoring a sword in dead cells that buffs unfrozen enemies, all the while rocking an ice bow. Or maybe the truly apocalyptic mayhem that comes from Gungeon's black hole thrower and abyssal tentacle. Each of these have the potential to push a newbie player way past their skill threshold. However, I firmly believe that the core design of each of these games ultimately course-corrects on this, since you might be able to make it pretty far in a run, but the sheer difficulty and amount of enemies if you're not prepared for it can lead to your inevitable downfall. Conversely, after playing hundreds upon hundreds of hours in any of these titles, you'll gain knowledge of their core mechanics that allows you to turn some bad luck into a stellar performance. Gaining a comprehension on the static mechanics of these games, from strafing, to parrying, to even table flipping, and especially understanding the bosses and their predictable patterns will create a clear divide between your gained knowledge and someone who's just got luck on their side. All in all, I think roguelikes can drive players to have some of the wackiest and most versatile stories available in gaming just by opening up a huge pool of possibilities. From this setup, even the most predictable and pattern-oriented of bosses can feel entirely different each time you boot one of these up. So if you're building a roguelike, don't be afraid to have your bosses be a little constant, because in the end, the player's independent values will shift the entire equation.